where if we take this kind of curiosity, this exploration, this appreciation of people's differences, and we put that in the workplace, we would have companies that would make a ton of more impact and way more money if they really saw how can we get people's differences to be something that's a strength and something that really adds to our pool as opposed to something that creates kind of a struggle or an obstacle. Welcome to the Audacious Founder Podcast. This is a podcast for entrepreneurial women. It's going to help you build confidence, obliterate mental blocks, gain knowledge, and harness the audacity to start your business, grow your business, or just start living your life with a whole lot more fucking audacity than you have been. My name's Melissa Manning. I've founded and co-founded more than 13 businesses in 10 years, and I've got more than 45,000 hours of business operating experience that I want to share with you. And I am here to A, learn more because we're never effing done, and B, get you to a new level. Today, I have Alejandra Hernandez here with me. She (laughs) is a career and leadership coach in Miami, so in my hood, Mm -hmm. and she helps women regain confidence, unleash their voice, get clear on their life vision and values, and become powerful leaders in the workplace. Hoo-yah! She's had many career paths in five different industries that has led her towards entrepreneurship, and I can't wait to hear about this. Her path has been messy and filled with failures, which has led her to her greatest successes. So I'm so happy to welcome you. Hi, Alejandra. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. I very much look forward to speaking with you and seeing what comes up. Me too. Me too. So we have a lot in common, Alejandra, because I do a lot of the same things. I encourage women to figure out how to build their confidence. And I encourage them to start businesses and I want to empower them around money and their life vision and all of these things. So we have a lot in common. And I was introduced to Alejandra through my friend, Nicole, who owns the pen project. That is where we are going to be hosting my event at the end of May at Nicole's pen project in North Miami. So I hope you come Alejandra. Fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm on the spot, but I'm so down for it anyway. (laughs) Great. Great. Cause actually I haven't met you in person and that would be amazing. Yeah, it absolutely would. I'd love that. Cool. So let's get started. I would love to hear about how you started out, what all of those industries were, what all of those jobs were, and then how you basically, you know, it was a long time, I imagine, but like how you transitioned into entrepreneurship. Yeah, absolutely. And first, I mean, thank you so much. You know, as you mentioned very briefly, my name is Alejandra Hernandez. I'm a women's career and leadership coach, and I work with a lot of women that have already been in the career for quite some time, but they're really struggling with that kind of last, that notch right there on how you get from manager to director or how you get from being an individual contributor to a leader, someone who guides other people, someone who contributes on a much larger scale and whose decisions oftentimes have a large impact. And so really supporting women with that responsibility, with accountability, with having clarity on who they are and their values and their vision. And so when I think about how I got here, I mean, as you briefly mentioned, it was a, it was a very messy road for me. I graduated college, you know, I'm a first generation American. My parents immigrated 
to the United States from Colombia. And my mom has about a third grade education. And I grew up just wow. not knowing anything about like how to get to college. Holy shit, though. Can we talk about your mom for a second? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was like, you know, that was one of the things that I kind of grew up knew- knowing, I'm sorry, but I didn't really understand the impact of that. And I'm still kind of understanding the impact of that now. But like, yeah. I grew up and my mom would oftentimes ask her husband, like, how do you spell certain words and never really clicked with me to understand like, oh, she has a third grade education. So there's, she speaks, she's obviously fluent, but in many ways, her vocabulary isn't as expansive. And there's words that she generally doesn't know how to how to actually write out. And so sometimes I would ask her how to spell a word in Spanish and she would be like, and she would just repeat the word. So it's like, how do you spell like baloney? And she'd be like, baloney. (laughs) Exactly how it sounds. (laughs) Exactly how it sounds. And that's what she would say. She'd be like, it just, it's exactly how it sounds. And you know that, so I say that to say that for me getting to college, like this whole transition of how to get to college and entering corporate America was very confusing for me. And no, like no one in my house knew anything about the topic Mm -hmm. of how to get to college and how to, you know, enter the workforce. What is it to actually interview for jobs? Like we don't, my mom doesn't know that process. And I have, go ahead. Yeah. I was just like maybe a week or two ago, I had a conversation with a woman named Angelise, who is on my podcast that will probably go out right before yours, or maybe a week or two um, after, and maybe a week or two before. And we were talking about this same topic. She's a first generation entering the corporate world. And there was all of these like mindset things that she had to deal with being that first gen and sort of having all of that pressure and having that, that kind of story. That's just like, well, this is the ultimate goal. And once you get that job, you hold on to it, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's like, because that, that was the old, your parents didn't have that opportunity. So once you got that, it's Mm -hmm. like your, your job is to maintain that and, Mm -hmm. and to like go, you know, keep going in it, but never to stop and question, is this what I really want? Right, exactly. And so a lot of the people that I do work with tend to also be first gen or people Mm -hmm. in some way, what I call them is trailblazers. Mm -hmm. We're trailblazers. We are the first to cultivate this path. We're getting cuts from very long and large grass blades that have never been cut. And we're just figuring this whole thing out ourselves. And I work with a lot of trailblazers themselves who are figuring this out on their own. So a lot of first gen or a lot of people who maybe just grew up in homes where that wasn't the example for them. And so for me, my, my path really started very messy, really with getting into college. I make this joke that, you know, I was first gen and I grew up in a very diverse place. And most of my first, my friends were first gen as well. And so we were like the blind leading the blind. Like we had no (laughs) idea what we were doing. We're like, I think you're supposed to apply for this thing, this Uh FAFSA thing that's supposed to help you, but where do you get help on how to apply the thing? And And you had, you had like school counselors, right. But they also couldn't really relate. I imagine, or it sounds like they couldn't. Yeah. We had a school counselor and I remember, you know, we, we had different ones, but one is realizing that most of our school systems, especially public school systems, I'll talk about specifically counselors have a very large amount of students that they are in charge of. And so quite frankly, they're overwhelmed almost all the time when we're talking about the public school system. And I grew up in Maryland. So Florida is actually worse. So when it comes to how many students each counselor has, 
has to take care of. And so the reality is, I mean, like you're a coach, I'm a coach. We we've done one-on-one at some capacity. You just know at some point you can't be giving individualized attention to 50, 60, 70 students. It's just not possible. It's just not possible. And so that to, to really reiterate that piece is, yeah, we had counselors, but one, I, cannot for the life of me actually tell you my counselor's name. I have no idea what my counselor's name was. (laughs) And then um, two, was their experience mine? Probably not. And then three, there is um, a story that my actually friend told me about whose counselor was a Latina and had encouraged her to go to trade school was like, you know, I don't know about whole college. Like it might be a little bit too challenging. It was just like, that was like kind of their way. I think in their mind, they were genuinely trying to be supportive, but I just think there's a lot of things that happen in the education system that can be very discouraging. And so we were very much, like I said, the blind leading the blind. We didn't really know what we were doing and we didn't really have parents to support us in that way either. So when I finally graduated college and went into the workforce, it was like this whole process all over again. Like what the, what the heck am I supposed to do? And so I start this whole process. I wind up doing admin assistant at a nonprofit and like getting back to the story you were just telling about your most recent guest. I mean, I was like 40 K admin assistant. Hello. Like I was just like, holy crap, this is so so much money. My mom cleans houses and now I'm working Uh, in this building in DC. Like, whoa. Yeah. So for me, just to be able to kind of see, like, look back and be able to see the differences of my upbringing and how my whole process was. But I went into that and the same way I went through a lot of different classes in college to figure out what I wanted to declare, declare as a major. I didn't switch majors. I just didn't claim a major until they were like, you have to claim a major. You cannot yeah. go to the next semester without claiming a major. And I was like, okay. So I just took a bunch of classes until I found sociology. Same. I did a very Ooh. similar process. I loved sociology. Ooh, I mean, sociology yeah. was so cool. <laughs> I'm very interested in psychology. I'm very interested in like the dynamic between men and women and, and the dynamic that like we women have just because, you know, what society has caused us to sort of be programmed with and men as well, like what mm-hmm. the societal programming is. That's what I'm very interested in. But then also how society does that and how society controls and has manipulated us. Yeah. Lately, I've just been like, wow, I really want to dive deeper into psychology and sociology. Yeah. Sociology is really, it was really fascinating for my first class. And I specifically, there are different studies of sociology that you can then go into. And I did stratification, which is essentially the ways that we create value strat like hierarchy in our societies, whether that's through race or through gender or through class or through any other ways. So I did my studies in that kind of specific way of understanding, oh, this is how societies function, but also this is how societies deems you less worthy of another person and how the implications of that. And so yeah. I studied that. I was very always just fascinated with like how people work, how but more specifically on a big scale, like how people, how groups, how companies, how societies come together in large scale. And then after graduating, as I said, I went into admin from there. I really did a lot of hopping around because I was like, this isn't it. And this isn't it. And I'm very much someone who fumbles a lot, falls down a lot. And I'm just kind of like bumping into things. And that's what I was doing when it came to my career process. I was going from one to the other. So I went from nonprofit world and then I went into consulting. I went into consulting 
And then after I went in, it was like operations and consulting. And then after that, I moved to Miami and then I entered PR and it was like HR operations kind of in a PR agency. And that was probably like, that was really, really difficult for me. Just the PR world. I had never been in the PR world before. After that, I entered advertising and I'm like, I'm going through these jobs. Cause I'm like, this isn't working for me. Like this doesn't feel good for me. This doesn't feel good. And then I enter advertising and I reach that place again, where I'm like, I'm just not feeling happy here. I'm not feeling fulfilled here. And I finally had like that moment where I was like, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep cycling through jobs. And it was this just finally, it was like that last straw. And I think the thing that really helped me realize that it's gotta be me because all of these situations only have me in common. These are different industries, different career paths, different workplaces. And I was at a job where, I mean, culture wise, there were definitely things that were left to be desired, but I had a lot of perks. I was getting paid okay for where I was, the position I was in Miami, where I was living. And I just realized like, okay, so if it's not really about the money, if it's not really about the perks, and if I don't really hate the people I'm working with, like what is going so on? Is it, right? it was just like this moment for me where I was like, whoa. Well, so and what was it? What, so then I really, for me in that moment, I didn't really have the language. I just knew like, mm-hmm. I've got to figure out like who, Something what better. am I, what do I want to do? Like, who am I and what do I want to do? And what do I love doing? And how am I going to contribute to this world? That was really what I had to figure out for me. And my first step was realizing, oh, I have to figure this out. I can't just jump to another job because that mm-hmm. I was really good at. I was really good at nailing down jobs. I knew that I couldn't just keep that process going because I looked back and six years showed me that it wasn't working. So then I was like, okay, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I want to recognize that. Like, so I feel like so many people might not look back. They might not be like opening their eyes to what patterns might be existing. You know, they just keep going with blinders on. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is really important for people. Like if you want to be somebody who's self-aware, if you want to create a life that is better than what you have now, you have to look back at what you've been doing. That's not mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. and come up with mm-hmm. new solutions. And that's exactly what you did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was like looking back, seeing that, okay, this is a pattern and I don't want to continue this pattern because I actually want something to go different. Mm-hmm. So that means I have to do something different. And what really encouraged me is, at that time I was dating someone we had been together for maybe like six months and the person then goes like, okay, well, what do you want to do? And this is now my fiance today. He's my fiance. But at that time we had started, you know, we were dating, like I said, maybe six or eight months. And I was like, so I'm kind of thinking, he's like, if just take everything outside, take, forget all the circumstances, all the money, all the, what do you want to do? And something that was like in my heart is I want to freaking travel. Like I just want to quit my job and travel for a bit. And the first time that I ever traveled on my own had been maybe like eight months prior to that. Mm -hmm. And I was in a place where at this time I'm single because this is before I meet this person. I'm single. I've been dating for a couple of years in Miami Dating was really, really difficult for me. Oh. I had a very hard time difficult just like everyone, I think. Well, <laughs> also me. I can't speak for everyone, but I could speak for myself. 
same. Yeah, it was very, it was very difficult for me because I like you already, as I've been telling so far, I didn't really know who I was. So like Mm -hmm. I was going out here dating, but I wasn't really clear about me and I wasn't really clear about what I was looking for. And I also had my own wounds from my previous breakup that then opened up wounds from previous life experiences that I was still working on and hurt people hurt people. And that's the dating scene. Like if you're out there and you're not clear and you're not healed, you're going to meet other people who aren't clear and they're not healed. And then it's just this revolving door of hurt people, hurting people. And it's one thing or the other, maybe you ghost this time, but the next time it's the next person. And that's a lot of what dating was. So mind you, I'm kind of in this place where I'm feeling kind of frustrated. I had never, you know, traveled on my own, but I I always loved this idea of like exploration and curiosity of just like seeing places and being in nature. And I was exploring that again. So I decided to travel mind you at this time I'm single and I was like you know what I'm gonna go to Costa Rica and I'll go for it was like four or five days and I was like I'm just gonna go by myself and I'll just have like a backpack with me and we'll just kind of get around that way it's not gonna be anything super super insane so I booked this and I go off to travel but hold on I have a question why did you decide to go on this trip by yourself what because most people I I'm a solo traveler too but most people want to have a companion. Yeah. I think if I remember correctly, I think it was one of those things where it's like someone could come, but like, if no one's not willing to come, I'm also not willing to go. Right, right. So I was like, I'll go. So I did have like, I remember actually I did tell some people like, hey, I'm going to go to Costa Rica. Like, do you want to go to Costa Rica with me? And I think like my cousin might have been considering it and maybe one other person. And then I just remember as like they weren't really confirming as we started to get closer, I started to get more like, I don't want anyone to come. Like, I was just like, like I started to feel that whisper and it's like, how cool would it be if I did go alone? So I think at first, I think secretly like soul, I knew I wanted to go alone, Uh but the mind was kind of like, Oh, maybe you should go with someone. And so I invited some people and no one confirmed. So I was like, all right, well it's booked. Like I booked it. It was ready to go. And that was mainly why, like, I was just like, I'm in, I also at that point realizing like, I had spent a lot of alone time because I had moved to Miami where I had no friends and I had no family. So I had already reached a level of being okay, being alone. I lived by myself. I, again, didn't really have any friends or family. So I spent a lot of time alone. I would go to the movies by myself. I would go to the beach by myself. Like I did a lot of things alone. So I think that also supported me in getting to the place where it's like, maybe, I mean, I could just go like, it's not, you know, it's going to be okay. So I think a combination of things and I wind up going and I mean, geez, like the whole thing just was so transformative for me to travel by myself. I mean, truly the, it is the only way I can label it is it changed my life to go to Costa Rica and be on my own. And this is just for five days, right? So this isn't before your boyfriend asks you, what do you want to do? And you're like, I just want to travel. This is before that. So this is like the catalyst for this idea to start percolating right? Exactly. Even in your subconscious, like maybe when you came back, it wasn't even a consideration that you could possibly quit and then go do this. Right. But, but it was like, it like got stuck in your subconscious. Okay. So keep going. So you had this like, why was it transformative though? Can you go into more detail? Absolutely. I believe that a big reason why solo traveling, especially as a woman was so transformative. And in particular for me was because for the first time ever, 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 I was 
out and about and everything was about what I wanted to do and nothing else. So empowering. It's It's just the most empowering, Mm -hmm. transformative experience truly to go somewhere else because it was also really supportive for me to have a lot of alone time here in Miami, but to be in a completely like I'm going to go travel. And it's like anytime I go and eat, it's only when I want to go eat. And if I decide I want to go eat somewhere and then I decide I no longer want that, then it doesn't matter. Like, I'll just go somewhere else. Like you don't have to worry about anybody else's needs and anybody else's opinions. And also you're on a vacation. So it's all about pleasure. Versus yeah. even if you're in Miami and you take a couple of days off, you still have this like looming pressure. You still have the bills that are coming in. You still yeah. have the friends that are calling you and being like, Hey, can you come out tonight? Blah, blah, blah. And while that's great, you know, it's, there's something completely free about yeah. being in another place where nobody can really get a hold of you. No matter what anybody asks of you, you can't really do it. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Ultimately, I think that's the foundation is like the freedom of everything I do is like is for me and only me. And I met I stayed in hostels, which are places where people can go and stay. They can rent out either individual rooms or there can be a room with multiple beds Mm -hmm. in it. So it's obviously cheaper in that way. So I stayed in a hostel. It's a really great way to meet other people if you are solo traveling. And I stayed in one of those. And one of the first things I realized was the difference between what a vacation is to an American versus what a holiday is to Europeans, mm-hmm. where like I would meet someone who was traveling and they would be like, yeah, I'm here for like a month. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, what do you, what do yeah. you mean? And then I tell them, I'm like, I'm here for, for like four or five days. And they're like, their face would just be like, what are you going to do in four or five days? Like, what do you do in that amount of time? And I was like, bewilderment. Yes. And I was like, yo, people take a lot of time off. Like that was my first thing, like understanding these differences and meeting people. And again, anyone that I met, it's like, I wanted to have that conversation with them or I didn't. And I'd be like, okay, I'm going to leave now. It like, it was always about what I wanted to do. And that right there was super empowering for me. The car, like the rides that I would take from one town to another would be just me listening to music or me journaling because there was no one else for me to talk to. So it was just me reflecting or me being, and that was the most empowering thing is freedom. So when I came back from that trip, I remember I was just journaling. And I remember when I came back, I was literally that like post-vacation depression. Like I was so down because I was like, how can I keep this going? Like, how can I do this? Uh-huh. Like, how like, can this I was joy travel? Yes. This was pure joy. And now yes. it's going to go away. How do I keep it? And I now know, how do I, I go know that back? And then the thing is too, like I've, I came out since I am moving right now, my house, my house is a complete disaster, but because I am moving, I was been going through stuff and I found my journal that happened to oh, be around God. this time. Yeah. And I was journaling and I was journaling about how my coworkers were asking me how my trip was. And it was like, I don't have the words. Like, I don't even know. And I specifically wrote was like, I think my coworker thinks I had a bad time, but it's literally (laughs) just because I don't know how to explain to you that I just had a life-changing experience and I don't want to be here where you are. (laughs) Yeah. I never want to see you again. Thanks for asking, but bye. Yes. (laughs) 
And so it was such a transformative experience for me. And I came back, I ended an entanglement I had for like, I think it was I like going that on phrase, to like, entanglement or that word. <laughs> is that even a word or is that a phrase? I don't know. But I have no I idea like if it's an actual word, but it was definitely an entanglement. And I ended it. It was like one of those things that I had ended it before and then started up again and ended mm-hmm. and then started back again. And I came back and I was just like, it's done. Like I immediately, like the day after I was like, Hey, it's like, this is just, it's not going to work. It's done. Never reached back out. Like it was just completely, it was a different feeling when I came back. I was like, I know it in my body and my bones. Like I will never return to this. Ended that. And then I I got got chills actually at that moment. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, if you got chills about that one, wait for this one. I did not grow up with my biological dad. He left when I was, my mom was basically still pregnant and I never met him. And that was the first time where I was like, what would it be like for me to meet him? Like, is he even alive? Is he, it was the first time that I even allowed. Yes. It was the first time I even allowed myself to question where he could possibly be like before that I just never did. I never let my brain even. And I think it's a few things when we talk about psychology, I think from like a trauma sense, I think my brain just completely shut it off and was like, it doesn't exist. And I think for the first time, that's where I really allowed myself to be like, what would it be like to find him? And that happened. I can't actually give you, but it was like a summertime by October. I had finally mustered up the strength to ask my mom. And by December I had met my biological dad for the first time at like like 20. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. And so that all like these things, like, it's just like, I came back and I was in such a different space about what could be possible, but also like, what do I want in my life? And I knew I didn't want to be with like in this entanglement anymore and it, and I want to know who my biological dad is and like, where the hell is he? And is he at a grave or is he like, does he have family? Do I have half brothers or sisters? Like it was the first time that my mind had expanded beyond where I had been up until that point. And it all stemmed from the freedom that I experienced from traveling alone at yeah. that age. I think I was 20. I must've been 24 at that time. Okay. 25. <laughs> yeah. What I'm hearing is like, number one, when you go into these different environments and you're meeting people that have very different experiences than you, it, it adds possibilities to your list of options, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like the way my mind is visualizing it. It's like a coin in the slot of a payphone, And that's like your, all of your possibilities inside that mm-hmm. payphone, Right. And so every mm-hmm. time you have a new conversation with somebody who's different, who has different experiences, there's a new coin, a new possibility yeah. that gets inserted into that slot. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then now you just have all of these options inside of you that you can choose from. And it's super exciting. And that's what we need to do, right? Like how can we make educated and great, fantastic decisions for ourselves if we don't have a lot of option inventory, right? If we yeah. don't even know that these options are possible um, yeah. or that these things exist even. Like if you were to say, did you know that you could take a month long vacation or that anybody could? No, what do you mean? A month long vacation, that seems like reckless. That seems irresponsible, 
right? Yeah. But no, I don't like, have that enough PTO. Like I, right. like it just never would enter someone's realm. And right. one of the things that I think is so interesting when it comes to a lot of the leadership coaching that I do is when you're on vacation and when you're in this new environment and you're so excited to meet other people and learn about their experiences, that's the thing that tends to lack in companies and corporate America where people's differences become a problem. People's differences yeah. become a source of bitterness of what's wrong with you, of you're not professional, you're not doing it right. Where if we take this kind of curiosity, this exploration, this appreciation of people's differences, and we put that in the workplace, we would have companies that would make a ton of more impact and way more money if they really saw how can we get people's differences to be something that's a strength and something that really adds to our pool as opposed to something that creates kind of a struggle or an obstacle. And what do you think that comes from the inability to like accept differences? I think overall, just like human beings, you're reading Sapiens. So he actually covers some of this in Sapiens. I think overall, as human beings, we're still figuring out what it means to be in such masses of communities, of societies, because we exploded in such a fast way. And so yeah. Sapiens actually discusses this, where we went from, you know, being, um, gatherers and then we from like hunters and gatherers and then we exploded into civilizations but everything we did was very much in really huge explosions as opposed to something that went incrementally mm -hmm. and so when we think about where we are now like we've just gotten to this place so quickly evolution is not something that happens overnight it's not something that happens over a hundred years it's literally yeah. something that takes but it happens over a solo trip like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rosola, you're so right. Oh my God. And so I think part of why the reason is because overall human beings, anything that they see as differences could be something that is out of the ordinary, which could be equated to being dangerous. Yeah. Yep. Being a threat. And yep. I think we're just really still learning what it means to live in community and societies as massive as we have when there are mm -hmm. so many differences, when for such a long time, it was like these people are the people just like me. We do the same things. We eat the same food. We speak the same language. We, you know, we live in the same area, all of these different things. We've just exploded in such a way. And in particular here in the States where we have so many different cultures, colors, languages, all the things, religions. And so I think we're just still figuring all of that out. We see that differences is something more of a threat than it is something of a strength. And that's going yeah. to take time to work through. Yeah. It's just a habit. It's a mental habit. And mm -hmm. as soon as we're able to start recognizing those thoughts, when they come up, like, Ooh, Ooh, yeah. that person is making me uncomfortable because they are doing whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then in that moment, choosing instead to be curious as opposed yeah. to feel fear. Yeah. Yeah. And it really is incredible how many times I've like been upset about something and then have a conversation and realize like, they literally meant no harm. Like yeah. they were just like doing something that for them is completely normal. But I only really understood because I had to like dig and actually, well, first regulate myself to get to the place where I'm no longer in fight or flight and right. then be able to ask a question and then be able to see, oh, they really think that what they said is completely okay. That's fine. And from that place, we can begin to actually have conversations on whether that was okay for me or why it wasn't okay for me or why actually it is okay. And I was just triggered and I responded yeah. in that way, but yeah. it can only happen if you're able to one, regulate yourself and get yourself back to a stable place. If you are triggered and then two, to be able to ask the question, as opposed to make assumptions about who that person is or what they meant based on your own experience. Yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> and that's what leaders do. That's what leaders do. And it's but cultivating. All of that, yeah. And all of that takes, it takes a trust in yourself. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to bring it back full circle to the traveling again, because like, that's another reason that solo traveling is so beneficial because like in order to be in those situations where you might have like a trigger reaction and you might feel threatened or you might feel fear um, in order for you to then step back and be able to withstand that uncomfortable feeling for a second or a couple minutes, you know, mm-hmm. you have to have trust in yourself that no matter what this situation evolves into, you can handle it. Right. And you have to have confidence that you are maybe strong enough or intelligent enough or capable enough to now step into possible conflict with that person. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. by, by addressing the thing that they said, you know, even if you're coming from a calm, peaceful place, right. It's still mm-hmm. uncomfortable because it mm-hmm. could become conflict, especially I think for women, So then in order for that to take place, you have to already have come to a point where you feel very confident in, first of all, your own feelings, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have to, you have to not, you have to validate your own feelings Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of times we invalidate our feelings, right? Somebody might say something and we're like, I didn't like Mm -hmm. that, but Mm -hmm. then we'll be like, oh, but it's just me. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm just being sensitive or, you know, he didn't mean anything by it or whatever. And instead of just being like, Hey, uh, John, or even like Gail, what did you, what, can you explain what you meant by that a little bit more? Mm -hmm. Or like, that felt weird to me. Can you, can we just like talk about that for a second? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we just brush it off and we sort of invalidate it, but that builds up internally over time. Yeah. 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 But so I, I want to tell a little bit of my story too about traveling, because I agree with you that solo traveling is so important. And for a really long time, I didn't do it. And when I finally did it, I had a crazy, amazing experience as well. And every time after that, that I've gone on a trip, even when the trip didn't necessarily turn out great, it was still great because it Mm -hmm. was like this weird, crazy, um, memory, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, so after I, I had my daughter when I was 25 and then I was, and I was married. And so at 27, I got divorced Mm -hmm. and I decided to take a solo trip for two weeks. And my daughter was two at the time. I went to take a solo trip to Italy and Hungary. Even my mother made me feel bad for leaving my child for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I still went because I felt like I just needed to do it. There's this one memory that's like burned into my mind. I was reading this book, The Untethered Soul. Uh huh. Did you ever read that? I haven't read it. You should. Everybody should. Yeah. Read that. <laughs> so I was reading this book on my trip, and I remember being in Italy, and I was on a bus going to say Gesta. There were some ruins. You have to drive over cliffs. And so I was on the way there, and the bus was empty except for me and this group of like maybe three or four family members. And I was sitting in the back of the bus reading my book and I was looking out the window at the ocean because we're on cliffs and how stunningly beautiful it was as I'm reading this book. That's like helping me get in touch with myself as I'm feeling all of those feelings that it sounds like you felt too, that freedom, that independence, empowerment. I started sobbing. Mm-hmm. like hard from joy. Mm-hmm. Like I was mm-hmm. so happy in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that has ever really happened to me that strongly before. And so for me, that was the moment where I was like, like, mm-hmm. this is what pure happiness 
and contentment feels like. When you come back from that experience, you are strengthened in this way that even if that joy and that trust in yourself, even if it dissipates a little bit, you can always return to that memory. You can be like, you know what? This happened and I handled it. Mm -hmm. I can handle whatever comes at me and I'm going to be okay. And you also now know what joy feels like. Yeah, no, I mean, it is beautiful. And I imagine like I just visualized you on that bus, like looking over the cliff and just seeing that in the feeling that it generates in the body. I think for me, what that feeling was, is like this ultimate feeling of presence and connectedness of really being in awe and not of even any particular thing, but just of it all of everything. Then I'm like, okay, how can I replicate that on a regular basis? Because this is why would you want to live for anything other than that? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, how do we bring those feelings with us and know that we can generate that Mm -hmm. in any environment that we're in, but how do we put ourselves in places where we can thrive in an environment that will allow us to, and coming back, I knew, I think that was really just the start of this isn't going to be the place I can stay because I couldn't, it's just like, it began to eat away at me because here's the thing, like the whole saying of ignorance is bliss. There's a, there's a truth to that. Once you become a level of aware of, Mm -hmm. you have a level of awareness, you begin to see, actually, I can't do this. I can't live in this way anymore. I can't rob myself of the opportunities and the happiness and the things that I know are a contribution to the world. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it wasn't going to happen where I was. I think that was really the catalyst where it began right there, but it wasn't until the, really the following year where I get to this really breaking point where I'm like, I cannot keep doing this. And that's where we kind of go back in the story where my partner asked me, like, take away the circumstances, take away all the things, like, what would you do? And I said that I would pack my bags and I would go travel. And, you know, he was like, okay, so why not do that then? And I like, like, I literally scoffed. I I was just like, what an absurd idea. (laughs) Like, because like, just because. And so he did the exercise with me that, you know, some coaches may do. And it's like, we'll go, go through the worst case scenario. What's going to happen then? So he takes me through this whole worst case scenario. I love that he was coaching you. Yo, he was totally coaching me. (laughs) No, but it sounds like, sounds like a good partner. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. And so, you know, I start going through the whole thing because he was like, okay, well, we'll then do that. And I was, he's like, well, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I was like, you know, so I'm over here amped up and I was like, I could lose all my money and I could have a lease. What am amped I going to do with my for lease? all the reasons why? No, exactly. Amped up yeah. about all the reasons why I can't do this. I was like, mm-hmm. I was like in pure, like, this is, this is a crazy idea that I could not actually pursue. It's completely irresponsible. Yes. And that was, was actually in- a question that I wrote down earlier. When you first brought this up, I was like, I want to know what those those um like negative thoughts were those stories yeah. that were coming up for you around this possibility so yeah, yeah. So irresponsible right irresponsible like the first time around when I went to Costa Rica it was like I took two days off Temporary. work like you know like it's yeah, yeah it's like a short thing like it's whatever no one said he they could come like it is what it is but this time around I was like it's irresponsible I can't do it it was just like my mind 
when we have a great fear of something, our mind oftentimes just shuts it off. Like a lot of times, if you actually do this exercise of what's the worst case scenario, like I did, you're going to realize you're actually being really ridiculous and, or those things could happen no matter what, whether you have a million dollars or whether you have $5. That's interesting. Hold on. Hold on. That's interesting. So like if you do, I, I love the worst case scenario exercise because exactly like you're saying, sometimes you you write down or you hear yourself say the worst case scenario and you're like, oh, this, that's not so bad. Yeah. Right? But I, what was the second thing you said about it? That the second thing you realize is the thing that you're afraid of happening could happen no matter what circumstances. No Yeah. So one of the weird things that I had come up is like, well, what if like my mother dies and I'm out traveling in like whatever place? And then I realized, well, like, to be very honest, my mom could die at any point. Like I could be in Miami. I could be traveling. I could be anywhere. Either way, I'm not living in the same city. Either way, I'm gonna have to hop on a plane. And either way, it's the same. So why not live my best life? Right. It was like such a That was so (laughs) my dog just had a had a blast jumping off the bed. Um, But yeah, I just realized like as I was going through this worst case scenario, I realized one, how ridiculous I sounded. But two, there were things that I was listing that really had nothing to do with why I couldn't travel. It was just like fears that I had. But like the brain is such a powerful thing in being able to stop you from doing anything that it sees as different or scary or could be of a risk. The brain is silly. It's the very, brain is silly. very powerful. The brain is like your, your obnoxious older brother who's like, no, 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 you can't, you just can't do that. You can't do that because like, mom's going to like get mad at me. And then this is like giving you all of these things that are completely irrelevant. You're just like, yeah, shut up brain. No, <laughs> like, can you be right. logical for one second? Isn't that what you're supposed to be doing? And it was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was really, I was just like, a lot of it really had to do with fear Mm -hmm. and irresponsibility and very much like around finances, a lot of it around finances. So one of the things is like, our finances are tied so much with our survival. And that's why a lot of the people that I work with have a really hard time thinking about transitioning in their career to do something that they love, because for them, they associate that with a risk in their finances, whether it's getting a pay cut or taking time off. And our career is so tied with survival again, because it's our finances. So for entrepreneurs, it's their business for career folks is their place of employment. So it's such a place. That's why breaking careers or breaking career paths can be so difficult for people because it's so tied to their ability to survive, which is where the brain's going to come in and say that annoying older brother, like you just can't because you can't. And so a lot of that is really what came up. It was tied around finances. And one of the things I realized was I was saying I couldn't do it because of the money. And the reality was, is if I actually looked at my numbers logically, I could. Now that's where the whole interpretation of whether it's responsible or not. I mean, is it responsible to take out your 401k before you're ready to retire? Like, it's just one of those, is it responsible? I also wonder if part of those stories too, were coming from your upbringing and like your mother's experience. Yeah. I mean, I definitely grew up, I grew up in a home where everything is you save, you save as much as possible. All because the that time. meant life or death for her. Yeah. You never know what can happen and you just always have to save. And so my mom's mentality was always save. And in many ways it served me 
I graduated with no debt at all. And I never, like I had a few friends in high school who fell into credit card debt because they discovered credit cards, but didn't actually understand how credit cards worked. And it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, if no one explains it to you, they like fell into credit card debt. And I never did because it's not like my mom explained credit card debt to me, but like just some, my brain understood money you save. Mm -hmm. And so I never really fell into that. So in many ways it served me. And there's, um, a saying that is in the personal development space where it's like, don't carry your water raft through the forest. And the analogy goes that if you're stranded and the only source of food that you have is across the river and you build a water raft in order to feed yourself and get across the river, it serves you. And now you're getting in, in from one side to the other, you're feeding yourself, you're doing okay. But let's say the river dries up and now you got to get across the forest in order to get food sources across the forest. Now you're carrying this water raft across the forest because you're like, well, I just have to, I've always had it. And it helped me. Well, you're living in scarcity, right? bringing it along because it's this habit. It's a scarcity. You just, it's something that helped you for so long, but it's mm-hmm. like, hun, it no longer helps you though. You, you got to let it go yeah. now. Yeah. And that was one of the things like save, save, save was very helpful for my mother as again, someone who immigrated, as I said, yeah. she's a house cleaner, was still able to buy a home at one point because she saved a lot of money and she was able to make it work. Good and I you, grew man. up in that space. So for me, it helped me in many ways growing up graduating with no debt, but now here I was and I was like, save, 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 save. And now I'm in this like terrible position. And I do have, you know, a couple of thousand, it wasn't a lot, but I had a couple of thousand in the bank saved up. And I was just like, no, I can't, I can't touch that. I can never touch that because, and really it was like, oh no, I have the actual ability to do it, but I'm robbing myself of it because I just have this fear that you don't ever touch money in that way, even if it's something that could help me grow, it's just survivability was more of my mom's game. And here I am because of my mom's game of survivability, I have an ability to actually thrive and to have the privilege to do something beyond that, beyond to just survive. And I wasn't taking it because I was so afraid because I was so conditioned in that way. So I had to recognize that and see like, oh, actually I could make it work. My reason, I could find someone to sublease my apartment. I could, you know, like just all, then it like entered like problem solving. So we we said earlier that your mind was in the why no phase, Mm -hmm. right? And that's, oh, oh, hold on. I'm going to write this down. Phases, right? So you've got. (laughs) you've got the why no phase. That's like the first phase because that's like the fear-based phase. That's your, your mind being like, Oh no, 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 no. We can't do that. That's going to use our money. That's going to make you unsafe. That's going to make mom Mm -hmm. mad. That's going to blah, 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 blah. Right. The why no phase. Then there's, then once you get through the why no phase, then you go to the why yes phase. Yeah. And you start thinking of all the benefits of doing it. And then there's the solution phase. Oh, damn. Yeah. The solution phase where once you have kind of like talked yourself, not talked yourself into it, but once you've given yourself permission to do whatever the thing is, then your brain starts coming up with solutions to make it happen. Like renting your apartment out. Yeah. I was like, I could rent my apartment out. Right. And just like these different things started to come up for me on like, what were the things that I could actually do in order to make it happen? What are the things that I could sell, for example, in order to be able to get some money? Cause up until that point, I, because I was living in such like scarcity, like everything I got, I had to save and I wouldn't like really splurge on things, mainly material things. I've always been more to spend like on a vacation versus like a, like a, like a laptop. So in this example, I hadn't, I hadn't had a laptop because I, me and my 
boyfriend at that time had agreed to share a laptop and then we broke up. So he took obviously his laptop. And then I was like, all right, well, I mean, I guess I just don't have a laptop. So for literally like two years, I didn't have a laptop when I was home. I just did it. That's actually great. Yeah. Like (laughs) we should go back to that. (laughs) Yeah. And then when I would do job searching, I would literally go to the library. I would go to the library and I would look for jobs there and write stuff there. And eventually, so I sold some things in order to be able to get a laptop because I knew that I wanted to be able to be online, to be able to like actually figure out what is it that I want to do with my life. So with that, do some research, like what are the things that I want to do? So I sold some stuff, got a laptop and from those phases that you wrote out were actually really the process that it was like saying no, then, okay, but why could it, and what would it bring to my life? And then what are the solutions that I could have according to like the objections that I have? And some of the objections, like I said, really required no solution because they were just, there is no solution to me being afraid that my mom might die. There's like, okay, it's just, (laughs) that is what it is. Like it could, it could. Right. And so it's just like understanding just a lot of it kind of just simmered down. And from that, I was like, oh my gosh, I think I just like made this decision as well. And then you feel so good about it, right? Because you went through all of this process and you came like, now you feel clear, you feel confident about the decision. You've thought about all the things that can go wrong and you may even have solutions for them now. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And that's really what, that was where I then went, okay. And I, quit. And I said, you know, I'm quitting. I'm going to go travel for a bit. I don't know what my next step is. And that That takes so much courage. Yeah. It was so wild to like, really be like, yeah, I don't really know. Like I have an idea. Like, I think I want to do this. And what I thought I was like thinking about going into college admissions counseling, because as I mentioned to you, my getting to college for me was a very difficult experience to this day. A lot of the people that I was friends with in high school didn't get through college. And it's not even necessarily because they're like, you know, I'm so much smarter than them. Like we in college were very much at equal. I was very like C, C level. I went to Montgomery college first, which is a community college because they're just to be quite Frank, I missed all deadlines and it's not like I had competitive GPA to be able to apply last minute to schools. So I went to community college and then I went to the university of Maryland where I graduated from. But I say that to say that I knew that there were people who definitely could have made it through college, but just didn't know how to figure out how to get there. And I wanted, I thought, oh, maybe it could be an opportunity for me to go into college admissions and be able to figure out how can we support more of this demographic of this first generation or people that don't know how to get to college, that if they just get the opportunity to get there, they can figure it out, but they don't know how to even get there. So that was like an idea I had, but like, I didn't really know what that meant. So I was just kind of like, yeah, this, this idea, but I'm just going to, you know, I'm quit. I'm going to travel for a bit and just kind of figure it out from there. And that felt so strange because it's, it's it's pretty rare. Like most people, if they leave, they have another job set up and, uh, I didn't. And I was just willing to be like, yeah, I'll I'll have to figure that out while I'm out there. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And, and I want to hear what happened after that, but before you start telling me about that, um, I want to just say like you leapt, you jumped, Mm -hmm. right. You stepped off the cliff. Did a bridge appear? Let's just take a quick break because I would love to remind you about the event that I am hosting this Thursday, May 26, 6 p.m. at Penn Project in North Miami. The event is called Let's Get Financially Lit, Literate, that is, 
and it's going to be six female speakers who work in the finance industry in various areas. They are going to educate and inspire us on financial well-being and wealth building. So if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, go ahead and find the Eventbrite link in the show notes and grab your tickets online before Thursday. We are going to have an open bar that was generously donated to us by a couple of beverage companies. We are going to have raffles and we're going to have snacks. So you definitely do not want to miss it. Now let's get back to the show. Did a bridge appear? Yes, it did for sure. And I mean, that happens so often when we are listening to ourselves yeah, and truly like to who we are, like when we talk about like us, if we just sit with ourselves and take out the brain and take out the pros and cons list and take out what's responsible or what isn't responsible, if we just tune in to how our body feels, how it vibrates, how it just sits and we follow that bridge is going to appear. I've just seen it way too many times. I've experienced it way too many times, but I've also seen it too many times with my clients, with my friends to know like, wow. And for some people it's different. Like I have a friend who got fired and is now a part of this really magical music group and is going to be going on tour with them. And like, I just, for her, it's God. Yeah, and somebody for me, pushed her. Like, somebody pushed her off the cliff, but right. the bridge still appeared. And a bridge still appeared. And yeah. it's like the way that you make sense of it, it doesn't matter because right. it's as long as it makes sense to you, as long as whether it's God, whether it's soul, whether it's you in the spirit that you have, whether it's your parent that maybe you lost, who's encouraging you from up above, however you see it, know that I've experienced it so many times and seen it in others that that bridge does appear. And it doesn't appear when you think it will appear. It just appears. It you may appears feel like you're about to hit the bottom, but one's going <laughs> to appear. Yeah. The thing that I wanted to say earlier was that I feel like we become so dependent basically on the people in our lives, our parents, our friends, the people we work with, that traveling without them seems like something that like, why would we do that? You know, Mm -hmm. why would we do that? And how can we make these decisions without considering these people, whether it's traveling or otherwise, you know, how can we make these large decisions in our lives without considering all these people around us? And then what traveling does is it forces you to do that when you're, Mm -hmm. when you're solo traveling, it forces you to have to make decisions without considering people. And then you get used to doing that. And it feels so much better because now, you know, for all the reasons you said, it feels good. Right. Um, And now you get a taste of what real independence is like. And so then when you go back, you start, you feel that difference. Like, oh, okay. I can go to the movies by myself. I don't need Samantha to go with me. Right. Or John to go with me. Like I can go on my own and I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Um, And then what I also was just thinking about is that when you're, and you, you said this just in other words, that when you are solo traveling, you're in constant meditation. Yeah. It's like you're in constant awareness. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And that's so powerful. It's like going to a retreat, really. Yeah. And I think one of the things you brought up that I think is really powerful is that, okay, well, imagine I don't really have a choice. Like, for example, when you think about going to a restaurant, you're just like, okay, what am I going to have? What do I eat? Or maybe your default is asking like your mom, what you should eat or your partner, what you should eat. And then you realize like, oh, I can figure out what to eat. And it's so silly, but you just begin to realize like, 
the same thing with direction. Like whenever I'm with my partner, I'm like, should I go this way? I'm just like always yes. like defaulting over. But then when I'm on my own, I'm like, oh, well, I, who am I going to ask? I got to know which way to go. And yeah. it's just like one of those things where you really figure out, yeah, absolutely. This is how I can get myself from one place to the other. And that awareness, that really awareness of where you are, how you feel, what's going on. Trusting it is a your instincts trusting your instincts, a huge one. And that's such a big one for when we talk about leadership, because a lot leadership requires that trust because a huge part of leadership is being able to make decisions. And sometimes those decisions require a fast turnaround. And a lot of things that women can get stuck in is perfectionism and this, like, am I making the right decision? Am I going to be wrong? Is someone going to think I did something wrong? Is it going to hurt someone's feelings? And they're just going in circles. And that can be very detrimental to a woman's ability to get a promotion. If people feel like you cannot make a decision and feel confident in it and guide others in it. And that's where trust really comes in. And solo traveling was very supportive in being able to build trust with, I know how to get myself somewhere and I know how to do this. And it's such a great first step just so that you can begin to build on that. And now how do you lead others in it? Yeah. And the same thing on what you're saying, something you mentioned earlier, you were talking about, you know, your history with your career and everything was messy. And you said something like you are fumbling all around in the beginning Mm -hmm. and I wrote down, most people are scared to fumble. It's the same thing about being wrong. Like most people are scared to mess up. Most people are Mm -hmm. scared to make the wrong decision. But what happens then is you stay in this safe, but like sad and kind of miserable and unfulfilling place. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to fumble. You have Mm -hmm. to, because that Mm -hmm. means that you are taste testing all these different things that you are drawn to. And, And that's what you have to do to find the life that works for you and that makes you the happiest and makes this worth, uh, makes this life the most worth living. You know, I don't want to live a life where I'm not consistently feeling that high level of joy and happiness and excitement and adrenaline that I was feeling when I was doing this solo trip and and the other Mm -hmm. ones that I've done, you know, that's the feeling that I get when I'm starting a new business. Yeah. I like, it's like the world opens up to me and there are a million new possibilities Mm -hmm. and I feel the adrenaline coursing through my body. And I feel like this is what living is supposed to feel like. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you are afraid to fumble, you never feel that. And then what's the point of being here? Yeah, absolutely. No, you're so right. And I think another thing I wanted to reference back is we talked about, being able to do things because we want to do things and like that freedom that comes with it. And the reason I think that is such a beautiful thing is generally speaking, women tend to be nurturers. Generally, they tend to be nurturers. They care for other people and want to make sure that other people are doing okay. Mm -hmm. And again, very afraid of hurting people's feelings. We just want to make sure we just want to keep like peace, generally speaking, like we want to be able for things to be okay in our home at work and so forth. But think about why though. I think there's a combination of thing. I think it's our upbringing. And I think women are generally like we're wired to be more nurturing. I do think I that think women that's are true. Yeah. I yeah. think women are, are more nurturing. I think we're more empathetic in general than men. Um, yeah. But I, I think also we understand think, emotions on another level as well. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, but I also imagine, or I also think that the reason that we want to keep the peace more so that we're so less likely to create waves is because waves equal um re- like rejection basically mm-hmm. waves equal uh threat 
-hmm. If we make waves, then the guy who's taking care of us, like the, I'm just thinking about in history, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when women, so um, after the agricultural revolution, women had to basically trade their reproductive rights for security, for mm -hmm. a house, for a roof over their head, right? For food in their belly, right? Mm -hmm. So if they made waves, they would just get kicked out. Yeah. And that person would find a new woman who mm -hmm. wanted to trade her right to her ability to have a baby for security. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, and, and same thing with dating, right? If you're difficult, mm -hmm. if you are disagreeable, okay, bye. You're too difficult. Let me find an easier woman to be with. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like mm -hmm. keeping the peace is safe. Yeah. And I think there's so, so many levels, right? When we, um, in sociology or psychology, they go back and forth forever about nurture versus nature. And the truth is there's always elements of both to yeah. it. And so when it comes to women is like, yeah, there's a level of conditioning and there's a level, like we're just yeah. wired to be this way. We're wired to be more nurturing, to have like create more peace, to be able to, we're you know just wired also to not have that level of usual like risk, especially if there's like any kind of physical aspect to it that men will tend, tend to do. And our bodies are also just quite frankly, gentler as well. Like our bodies get really out of whack. It's interesting because we can actually survive for longer. We have longer lifespans. And, um, in terms of anytime there is like starvation or anytime there is some kind of crisis, our bodies can be resilient over time, but they're more sensitive though. Yeah. Like our bodies will be out of whack, but we will last longer. And it's because we produce life and anything in this universe is meant to exist and is going to strive to survive. Right. And so we have, an, we're more, it's interesting. It's almost like, um, it's almost like contradictory. It's like, we can last longer, but our bodies are much more sensitive. Okay. And so it's really interesting in that way. But I say that to say, I think these two aspects are what can contribute to women being powerful leaders in many ways, because we talk about like the empathy, we have a way of being able to see emotion. That's a lot sharper. Mm -hmm. We remember things generally a lot better, like people's mm -hmm. birthdays or people's, you know, just making people feel like they're actually cared for. And right now we're seeing that the corporate world is really beginning to see like, Oh crap. Like we, we suck at this and people <laughs> want that now people want to be able I to feel that. like they matter. Yeah. Yeah. People want to feel like they, <laughs> like they matter. And so now we're seeing a space where this strength is really being called in, but now it's like women being able to work through, Oh my gosh, like, okay, so can I speak up? Like what happens if I speak up? Is it safe mm -hmm. to speak up? Am mm -hmm. I saying what, what I'm saying? Now is we're it trying right? to find like, what's too much, like what's inappropriate. Uh, well, okay. Those are not good words, right? That's not what I want to think about, but like, we're trying to find that balance of yeah. how do I get myself heard? Mm -hmm. How do I get like, how do I, um, like achieve respect or how do mm -hmm. I garner respect mm -hmm. without pushing people away or like yeah. going overboard? Yeah. And I think a huge part in the beginning, when we looked at a huge flock into women going into the workplace, I'm talking specifically about like office work, like corporate America, a lot of the women that did get to sea level or climb the ladder had to do it by just straight up being ruthless. It's the stereotypes of being like the queen bee, like it's like dog eat dog kind of thing. Yeah. And it was because it was, I mean, we're talking that about trailblazers, like these were the first of their kind. And so they adapted to masculinity yeah. and that's what they had to yeah. do. They had to be ruthless and they had to even be more ruthless in order to ensure that they earned respect. And so now we're looking at this space where, you know, that was maybe about 
we're talking about 70s, 80s, 90s. And now we're getting to a place where it's like, okay, we don't want that. We want someone who's able to actually have our team feel like, again, like they matter, like they're cared for. And so now we're seeing a shift where it's like, okay, how do we collaborate with each other? That's another thing that women tend to lean towards is collaboration versus competition. And for a long time, it was like, how do we get women to compete with each other and that whole toxic thing? But now I think we're beginning to wake up and be like, actually, why do we have to compete? with each other and why do I have to put you down and it just feels like really it just feels gross in our bodies to to do things like that and I think we're beginning to shift that so it's a lot of this learning of like how do I bring in what I'm great at like a lot of the women that I work with their superpowers are always like most of them are saying like relationships, building relationships, because we are really good at that. We're really good at building relationships. So it's like, it's how do we bring this in, but then begin to see there are some skill sets that you get to sharpen. Now there are some skill sets, like, again, our brain goes to like more of the, what could go wrong? Like that, that attention to detail can turn into perfectionism. How do we be, that can help you to a certain point, but remember the water raft analogy that may help you get up to manager, but once you go from manager to director, and now you've got a team under you, you can't can't be perfectionist all the time. You're going to have to make decisions. So it's just about helping women make that transition because as you mentioned, it's like habits. It's just things that have happened over and over again. And when it gets reinforced by other people in a positive way, our brain then goes, Oh, that's good. Good, good. And it just continues that. And we also never look back at it again. We're like, okay, this is good. Got it. Understood. Mm -hmm. Moving on to the next thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then we never go back and be like, wait, is this still good? Same thing with, is it bad? Right. Like this thing's bad and now it's bad forever versus Mm -hmm. like, well, is it still bad? And that reminds me of what you said about the women who had to be ruthless in corporate. Mm -hmm. Right. And so now the women who are still there in corporate, who've had to come up that way. Now they're confused too. They're like, wait, what? Like I busted my ass. Like I had to Mm -hmm. compromise so much of myself to get to where I am. And, Mm -hmm. and they have resentment about it. You know, they're resentful of the women coming up who have it easier and it's hard for, I mean, not all of them, of course, but like, and then it's hard for some of them to revert back to their more feminine characteristics in terms of leadership, because they're so, you know, what we're talking about, they're so ingrained and this is the right way to do it. And this is how I had to do it. So you yeah. also have to pay that price That's as well. That's such a common mentality yeah. in corporate America. We see that with like remote, like, well, why, why you get to be remote? Like I had to work almost all my life coming into the office. I didn't like, why see my kid in? growing up because I had yeah. to be here at 8 a.m. every day. You know, mm-hmm. why do you and that mentality is so common? It's like breaking that. And we're in a special place right now where a lot of people are questioning whether it's maternity leave, whether it's remote work, whether it's the kind of benefits that we get. A lot of people are just being to be like, Hey, this is not, this isn't it. If, if things like having a pandemic and lockdowns and all these things can happen, like, what am I doing here? Is this really worth it? Like a lot of people are beginning to question that aspect right there. And given I am Latina and I live in Miami, I've, I've worked with a lot of Latinas as well. I've had clients that come to me who have been traumatized and have been embarrassed, humiliated, 
to like broken down by other women of color that are older, that are in the workspace. And it's really, really sad to see because that's not usually what we expect. Like right. a lot of times, especially like as a person of color, or as a black person or as a woman, you expect someone that shares a demographic with you, especially if it's a minority or someone who doesn't have privilege to be able to support you in some way, to be able to be connected to you in some way. And I've had women that come to me and there's almost that extra level of like, like heartbreak of just like, this is what I experienced from a previous person that I really thought could be my mentor. Oh yeah. It's a betrayal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's also, it just, I mean, it's easy for me to say this because I'm so distant, but, um, it's just a really great example of how they're projecting their pain onto this yeah. younger or, you know, this person yeah. coming up, it's just pain. It's their anger at all the things that they had to compromise or give up or the ways that they were treated or taken advantage of. And it's just like, Bleh. yeah. You know? Yeah. Hurt it's people, easy. hurt people. And so exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like that whole process. So it, it's been really, one of the things I really, really enjoy, and I'm sure you can relate to as a coach is being able to see the things click in our client's mind. Like, oh, I can see how my relationship with my father makes it difficult for my relationship with my managers who happen to be male, you know, like, oh, and it's, you know, it just seems like, again, when you make the connection, you're like, that makes a lot of sense, Mm -hmm. but it's just difficult to actually see it. And so that's why, like, that's the most powerful things that I love seeing is being able to see my clients make those connections. Mm -hmm. Because once you bring that awareness, it's so much easier, not, I wouldn't say easier, but it's, you now have the ability to transmute it when you don't have that awareness. You're just like, you have no idea how to transmute that into anything different than what it's always been. And so that's really where change is created. And it's interesting because as a coach, as a career coach, specifically, I work with women who are still, you know, in a nine to five for the most part. And a lot of times I'm their first coach. There are some coaches who like, yeah, you know, business coaches, right. Like maybe business coaches who coach coaches, a lot of times coaches hire coaches. And so Mm -hmm. it's not their first, but a lot of times the clients who come to me, I am most of the time their first coach. And so it's like, they don't, they know that they need help, but they're like trying, they're like, okay, I've heard a coach could help. So they come to me, but then they're like, wow, it like blows their mind to like enter the world of coaching and really see like, what does it mean to build awareness and to see what's coming up for you? And how do you begin to actually label emotions? Like one of the things you said is like being able to validate your emotions. And like the step before that is like, what are you feeling? Like, what is your identify? Yeah. Yes. And it's like being able to do that process is just so powerful in particular for me as a career coach, because a lot of the women, like I said, come to me and they haven't done this work before. So Mm -hmm. it's just like this excitement where I I can see they're like, oh my God, it's like so exciting for them. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's the crying and it's like, oh, I love love making my clients cry. I usually cry with them if they do, because I can't can't watch somebody cry and not cry also. But I love, I mean, me personally too, when Whenever I cry in a coaching session, like I'm being coached, mm-hmm. oh, it's so cathartic. I love it. Yeah. Or in therapy, oof. Every time yeah. I step into the therapist's office, I start crying. Like it's just, yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the release, being yeah. able to release is, is so beautiful. I want to hear what happened with when you decided that you were going to travel. Oh gosh. Okay. Travel. So, and then we still have the audacious advice that I want to get to. So, um, are you okay on time? I'm good on time. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yes, please. What happened after you decided, okay, I'm just going to quit my job and go traveling because that's what brings me joy. Yeah. Oh gosh. So then I put in my, my notice at work and I started to like pack up and get, you know, because I had like about a month, a lot of what I did and, you know, I did want to be financially like smart and, you know, so I started to go on mercury or look at, uh, like Patagonia to see if they ever had sales. Like I wanted to make sure that I was getting things, but in a cost-effective way and I had time. So I was just looking at these things to make sure I got the appropriate things. And because I was going to be backpacking, I knew I wasn't going to be carrying a lot of things. I just knew that whatever I was carrying had to be of quality because if you're going to be out and this is the only thing you're wearing for two months, you want to make sure it lasts. You want to make sure that it doesn't like break for any little thing. You want to make sure you have quality clothes. So my whole thing was like, how do I find good things? Started preparing. And as I was preparing, I was like, oh my God, this is like for real. I'm really doing this. And so I decided that I wanted to go to South America. So I was like, I'll go to Peru and then I'll go to Bolivia. And part of that is because I do speak Spanish. So generally I I feel comfortable going to a Spanish speaking country and knowing that I can communicate with people. So I went, I decided on those two countries and I love the mountains. My parents, my mom is from the mountains. And I love going to the mountains. It's the place where I feel grounded. It's the place where I feel just like the most in awe of like what nature has to offer. So I decided to go to Peru and we go off and I have my little laptop with me. And I remember that I told myself that like, I had this college admissions counseling idea with me. And I remember I told myself, I made a deal with God that if I got a sign or if an opportunity came in and it was something that was like aligned with this path that I was like brewing for myself, that I promised that I would do, like, I would take it. I promised God. I was like, I promise I will take the opportunity. I will not squander it. And I'm about four weeks into my traveling. I'm like, you know, I went to Machu Picchu. I'm like hiking rainbow mountain. I'm like getting lost. I'm tumbling down side of mountains and figuring (laughs) it out. Like I, it's not like, it was so much fun, but it was definitely rough. And I found this company that is a college admissions counseling company. And it was in South Florida, which is great because I wanted to stay in South Florida given I was now dating this person and I really loved where it was going and I was really happy. So I wanted to stay. So what I did is because I've always been very savvy with finding jobs is I cold, I guessed the person's email within the company (laughs) by just emailing. And this is a smart tip by just doing a variation of emails. So I looked at their website. I saw that it was like at companyname.com. And I think I was, so I was like, okay, it has to be some combination. So Melissa, your last name is Manning, right? Manning. Manning. Okay. So I was like, M Manning at companyname.com. And then I was like, okay, that bounced back. Melissa at companyname.com. Okay. That bounced back. And, and I just did a bunch of them until it went through that worked. And then I got a call. So I'm like in Peru and I'm on a call with these people and I'm just telling them who I am, telling them my interest, you know, telling them, you know, my background and how, what skills I can bring into the table. Ultimately, that leads to them offering me an interview, like an in-person interview. And they offer me an in-person interview when I'm in, like in Peru, I had just booked a ticket to go to Colombia, like four days later. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I will, I'm going to lose the money of going to Colombia on that plane. I'm going to lose the ticket that I bought for the bus. That's just taking me all the way up the coast of Peru. I'm like all these different things. And then I remembered the promise I made to God. And I was like, I have to go. I was like, I have to go. I was like, it's just my time. And I was like, if it doesn't come through, then I'll just come back. I'll figure something out. I was just like, I'll figure it out. 
Oh my God. But like, listen to that though. Right. <laughs> so you, you were losing money in that moment. And instead yes. of being like, oh shit, like I can't lose this money. Oh, I have to go. You were just like, no, I'm going to go and everything's going to be fine and everything's going to work out. And, and I'm going to just come back here because I'll find the money. Yeah. That's abundance. Like, yes. I was like, it'll work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I cut my trip short. I went back to Miami. I went to this interview. It went well. And I started in there as an intern. They were like, okay, we'll do an internship and you'll get to know the place. And if you want, like from there, we can talk about becoming full-time. And as you know, so I wind up getting full-time very, you know, quickly thereafter. And once I get started there, I actually realized that this company, it's a college admissions counseling company. It's a small business. They are, and they're outsourced. So they don't work like specifically with a school, but you can call them if you have like your child, whenever she gets to high school, if you want some help, you'd call this company and say, Hey, I want my child to have some support in this. That's what they would do. They had just started a career coaching department. So I'm there and like, there's this career coaching department and I'm just seeing, I'm like, okay, cool. Like that's, you know, cool. But I'm here for college admissions, like whatever the person that's working in the career coaching department hates working there. And she would talk about it like every day because she really hated it. And that's not what she applied for. Like she applied for another role. And I think they just kind of brought her in because her skill set was maybe supportive for that. So I don't really think it was something she wanted to do. I also don't think she really said she didn't want like no in the beginning, but then she made it very clear that she didn't like it. So eventually I was just like, I began to kind of think to myself, like, should I maybe go into the career coaching department? Like maybe that's something I could help with, but going back to the silly brain, it was like, no, you're here for college admissions. Like, why are you going to go distract yourself? That's, you know, it was like that kind of thought that came up for me where it was just like, stick to the plan. Uh And then eventually I just had to be like, I'm feeling called to it. Why am I telling myself? No, like, it's fine. I'm not going to trap myself in anything. I could just give them support. I could ask, I could tell them, Hey, this person doesn't like doing it. I could maybe help out. Can I help out? And so once I managed my brain from being like, don't know, you're being irresponsible. You're not sticking to the plan. I had a conversation and I was like, I'd be happy to help with the career coaching department. If you know, the person's okay with not being in it, which it seems like she is. And if you're okay with me helping and he was like, all right, awesome. Let's do it. And that Melissa is how I wound up in career coaching. I wound up at this company thinking I was going to do college admissions. That was my whole deal. This thing was just there. I never planned for it. It was never on a vision board. It just showed up and I followed what my body, like what that whisper, like it was just there. Mm -hmm. I followed it. And as soon as I landed in career coaching, I was like, my brain exploded. I was like, this is so much fun. (laughs) Like to be on a call with a client, like I'd never had that before. Mm -hmm. And it was so much fun. My career coaching career started in a company, not Mm -hmm. something I applied for. I just fell into it and found it and was like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Amazing. So (laughs) when did you actually go out on your own? I went out on my own and December of 2020, December of 2020. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of, yeah, December of 2020, yeah. 2020 was the whole year we had, right? Yeah. So it was December of 2020 when I decided to go off on my own. And a huge piece of that really was 
I was doing career coaching in a company and a lot of what we were doing was supporting people and getting jobs. And so that was through a lot of mock interview prep. We did a lot of resume writing and sourcing of jobs. We would do a lot of sourcing for our clients and be like, Hey, these are the jobs, according to what you're saying, you want to look for apply to these jobs, helping them apply. It was very tactical. It was very much like, these are the strategies that we need to have in place. And I wanted to move away from that because I just realized that I wanted to support with what happens even before that. I wanted to support with, I don't want to just cycle you through another job. Like I want you to actually understand what I had to learn for myself was like, who are you? What do you love? What matters to you? How do you want to contribute? Because everyone in a way or somehow wants to help. Mm -hmm. Most people want to help people unless they're like a psychopath. No, most people want to help people. The beauty of that is that humanity in general is very good. The, the other side of that is that doesn't actually help you understand what, how you're here to contribute because in general, people want to help people. So if you're saying, I want to help people, it's a beautiful thing. And what does that mean for you? For some people that means cutting hair for some people that means coaching in their careers for some people that means personal trainer, but how it looks like for you. And I wanted to focus on that. There's this gap. People are just going through jobs the same way I was going through jobs enough. Like, who are you? What do you want to do? Why are you afraid of speaking up? How do you heal the way that that person treated you in a previous role or your upbringing? And that's the work that I wanted to do. So I went off on my own to really pursue that. And I mainly work with women. I would say 95% of my clients have been women. So that as well, like I also had control over like how I how I show up and branding and therefore who, who attract, like who's attracted to me and who I get to work with a lot more autonomy in that sense versus in a company, it's like whoever shows up to the business and that's the person I would work with. And I worked with amazing people, but like I wanted more autonomy on who I wanted to work with and how I wanted to work with them. Amazing. yeah it's been so so awesome really because like now I'm moving into masterminds and so I'm launching a mastermind in in about like 10 days and with the mastermind for me like this is a brand new piece because again women tend to lean towards collaboration but for Mm -hmm. so long we've been in this mindset of like competition and we have to compete with each other. So now it's like, how do we collaborate? How do we build community? How do we like break these patterns? And so like this mastermind that I'm launching is strictly spaces for women to really show up and practice what leadership means for them, practice speaking up in a space. Because if, for example, someone doesn't feel comfortable speaking up in a space of 10 women where you have invested in, then we know that that's where you get to start because you're probably not going to feel comfortable speaking up at the meeting with all these different people. So like starting here, what does it mean to hold yourself accountable, to hold your partner accountable? What does it mean? Like masterminds are peer-to-peer mentoring groups. So if you don't even feel confident in what you have to offer, many times you don't feel like you can offer something. And so it's like starting there. How do you believe that you have something to offer? Like, what is your advice, Melissa? Like, I want to hear from you. What what is your experience? So starting from that, and that's what this mastermind is all about. It's like building that confidence, that leadership for women that are in the workplace and really want to either start their own business. Cause I actually have a lot of women who are like in nine to fives that want to start their own business, which is really fun. Um, or women who don't have an intention to start a business, but want to be able to be stronger leaders in the workplace that I like, I would have never done that in, in, in a corporate space. Like I had to break out and be on my own and like try it out for my own and fumble on my own to really see what it would look like for me. 
That's awesome. I want you to send me the link for that mastermind so I can put it in the show notes. Oh, okay. Awesome. I will for sure. Yay. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, 10 days you said, right? Starts May 17th. Okay. By the time this goes out, it's probably going to be after May 17th. So by the time this goes out, it'll already be open probably. Yeah. It'll be open. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, okay. So audacious advice. Yes. So number one, what does audacity mean to you? Audacity means, so audacity means clarity in who I am and integrity in how I show up. Mm. That's what audacity means to me. I don't need to write it down because this is recorded. (laughs) I'm going to take it and I'm going to post it. Yeah. Um, If there's one thing that you wish you knew growing up, what was it or what would it be? If there's one thing I knew growing up. Like if there's one thing you could tell your younger self. Yeah. It's so interesting, right? Because the thing that comes up for me is that there is anything that could be possible. But I think what younger me would truly need to see is like actual resources because you telling me anything is possible doesn't actually help me understand words. Yeah. Like I literally just learned Melissa, like last year, what venture capitalism is like Mm -hmm. that people literally get like like I just never knew like yeah. who, who, who knows that yeah, yeah, like people yeah. would say Silicon Valley and I'd be like that's a place I know it's a place I saw I know <laughs> is that know a brand of like a construction material yeah. I'm not sure I was just like Facebook I know it has to do with Facebook and like yeah. other tech places but like so I think for me the advice is for me I think the biggest thing is meet people that don't look like you that don't live like you and learn from them mm. that's truly what it would be because I, while I did live in a very diverse place, most people were in um, socioeconomic status were relatively the same first generation, as I mentioned. So I think for me, it was being like, find people that have different economic statuses that have different ways of life that like literally the people whose money you can't even fathom in your brain, like just find those people and start talking to them. Yeah. Well, that's what the purpose of the masterminds too. That's what masterminds is about. You, You get to meet people and you're like, wait, what? I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. And that's, that's truly what I needed as a young girl. So that would be the big piece. And I remember like there, there would be people that I would talk to the few instances. And when I would talk to them, I would just be like really weirded out. Cause like just their experience was so different from mine, but I didn't understand that. Like, Whoa, I could learn so much from this person who has a very different experience than me. So that would be the big thing. I think the other thing, the other benefit of masterminds or just networking in general and, and doing what you say of like surrounding yourself with people who are, have different experiences than you and different opportunities than you and access to different kinds of things, um, is, is also that it teaches you that there are people out there who want to support you, that there are people out there who want to help you even, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like that want to connect you with the person who's going to fund your business or, oh yeah, you know, whatever the case or who want to mentor you. Because I think yeah. sometimes we get stuck in a place where we just, you know, especially if we don't have those kinds of people around us naturally, then we get stuck in a place of, um, just like a lack of resources. Like we just don't yeah. know where to go, who to talk to, where to yeah. turn to find help. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, so true. And for masterminds in particular, one of the reasons why I was so like, I am so excited to start this is because it's a space that's mainly being put to use by entrepreneurs because generally entrepreneur, like generally entrepreneurs understand the more that I put myself in places that are 
with other people problem solving and learning who have more money, who make more money, the faster I grow. And entrepreneurs learn that by, by force. They, they have to, it's like the solo traveling, like you got to figure it out. Entrepreneurs are in that space, but a lot of times people that are in a nine to five, we're not necessarily encouraged in the school system and in corporate America. I think it's beginning to change, but that level of like creativity, entrepreneurship, that leadership. And so of course, that's me, not encouraged because then you right. become quote unquote, a bad employee. <laughs> a bad employee. What's so funny about that is actually you would be a better employee. Yeah. Because yeah, you, absolutely. you would take on more challenges. You would be more confident. You would be more autonomous. Yeah. And the most successful companies that we see, especially in tech are really beginning to see that when we see, you know, I won't go into that, but it's just for me, that's why I was really excited about bringing this to people who are in the workplace. Cause it's like, no, you also get to cultivate confidence. You also get to be a leader. You also get to figure out why you can't go in front of a group of people and speak and be able right. to do that so that you can spread your message. So for me, right. it was really like, I don't, this is so great. And entrepreneurs are jumping in on it because they see it and they know it mm -hmm. to be a huge catalyst for growth. I want people in the nine to five space to be able to see that too and experience that too. The power of now mentions, like if you're a little candle and you put yourself next to a fireplace, that's just blowing off and going so crazy as wildfire, like you will also catch fire and you will also expand so much bigger because of that. And that's the beauty of masterminds of being in a community with people who are growing, inspiring when you're around that the energy is different. The other day I was having lunch with somebody. And they're in a mastermind. And so when I think of masterminds and I have some, I have free masterminds. I don't even charge at mm. this moment for my mm -hmm. masterminds. I am planning something where I want to charge, Yeah, but I'm not charging anything. Okay. And this person tells me that they are paying. I think, I think he said $70,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah. There's masterminds that are like, yeah, like a hundred K. Yeah. I, and, and maybe that number isn't even right. I just remember when he told me that my jaw hit the floor because that didn't exist in my mind. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that there were things out there, groups out there that people yeah. were willing to pay a hundred K a year or, I mean, and even more, right? Like sky's mm -hmm. the limit, I guess there's probably more expensive ones than that, but, yeah. but that's a perfect example of like things that I didn't even know existed possibilities yeah. that I didn't even know existed. And now Absolutely. I do. And so yeah. now what is that going to open up for me anyway? Yeah, no, okay. it's absolutely true. Yeah. Next question. What is something that made a huge difference for you in regards to building your confidence? Well, actually we covered that with the traveling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that comes up? Okay. One thing that really helped me build my confidence in public speaking was joining Toastmasters. Ooh, it's an good. organization. If you're not aware of Toastmasters and public speaking is something that you feel really nervous about or petrified, you can go and just Google it Toastmasters. It's an organization that's designed to support people specifically in public speaking in order to build leadership. So I did that. I looked it up and I went to a meeting and that really supported me in building confidence with that piece right there. And ultimately what I want people to take away from that is there is a resource out there for you and whatever it is that you're struggling with, 
go and find that resource. If you don't know it, talk around with other people. Hey, I'm struggling with this one thing. Do you happen to know of any resource? And someone's going to share something with you. And then it's your responsibility to take action and to do something about that. So confidence in public speaking would be that. Confidence in entrepreneurship. I would definitely say the piece of having community. So I'm a part of a couple of networking groups. Really being able to get around with other entrepreneurs has supported me a lot and built my confidence in understanding where I'm at and also just being able to see like, oh, okay, entrepreneurs aren't like these superhero people. Like we have a lot of courage. We have a lot of resilience. We have a lot of problem solving abilities. We, still we make do a lot that. Of mistakes. We, we make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. A lot of times we learn and our tool set, our toolkit for problem solving really grows because we fail a lot. Yeah. And so something that really helped me with my confidence as an entrepreneur was really having community and being able to see like, oh, they're fumbling too. Like, okay, mm-hmm. we're figuring all of this out. That was really helpful for me because for a while I saw entrepreneurs and as something like separate and above that they could somehow figure out. And I realized like whatever they have, I can also develop. And that was really supportive for me. So those two things. Yeah. That is something I feel like people think that you're just born with it and it's not, it's all muscles that you have to hone and build and strengthen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Number four, what do you think needs to happen for women to get more opportunity in the business world? In the business world, what do I think needs to happen? Yeah. Okay. I think a huge thing that really needs to happen overall when we talk about women is some form of mentorship Mm -hmm. so that women can really understand from other women, like how they have developed, how they have overcome, how they have built out their confidence and so forth. Um, Especially in an age of social media, we can really, and I've done this so many times where I see someone and I really think that they're somehow like so different and that they have like different abilities when really once I get to know them, oftentimes I'm like, oh, okay. Like they also feel insecure sometimes. So I think for women in business, it's like a true mentorship because not only will you get resources with people understanding like, oh yeah, I went through that too. Like right now I'm figuring out how to get minority owned certified for a business. And I'm like reaching out and someone's like, um, let me see if there's someone else over here. So I think just being able to have a mentoring group where people can Mm -hmm. share resources and specifically like share their stories on like how they overcame certain things. I think that would be really helpful for women in business so that they can go in not only with resources, but also understanding tools on how to like build confidence and show up in places and have confidence because it really needs to start there. Right. We already have things that are working against us. We don't need to go into those, but we already have things working against us. So it's important that we start with ourselves. Yep. Awesome. Great answer. Okay. Last question. What is your biggest, most audacious goal? I am the co-founder of Opti Wellbeing Solutions and we're a corporate wellness company. So my most audacious goal as the co-founder of Opti Wellbeing Solutions, it's a corporate wellness company. I am someone who absolutely lives with the value of health. I don't play around when it comes to my health, I don't play around with the things that I eat, with the things I put on my body, with the Mm -hmm. things that I consume. Like I'm very, very particular about those things because I truly, truly feel in my heart that the way I show up in this world 
is directly correlated in quality to what I eat and what I put on my body and how I treat my body, how I move my body. So we started, me and three others started Opti Wellbeing Solutions with the intention of bringing health into the corporate space. And for us, yeah, the audacious goal, she makes me, you know, tingle Uh as it should, as it should. (laughs) Yeah, is really, you know, 10 million in five years be a company that's 10 million in five years. And it's so wild to say it because it's one of those things where it's like, wow, it's a hundred percent possible. The moment you begin to really, again, talk to people who have $10 million businesses, Mm -hmm. people who have a hundred million dollar businesses, you realize like, oh, wait, this is a hundred percent possible. It's like, it's audacious because it's something that for me, like 10 million is not anything my mother would ever see in her entire lifetime, like ever. And so when I think about it, it's just like, whoa, this is something we we could create this. And so that is audacious for me because it's truly a new level to not only the way that I experience what money is, but the way that then my children and my lineage will then experience what money is because it doesn't, a lot of us, we are the person that's going, it ends here. It ends with me, right? This, this trauma just ends here. It's enough. It's tiring. And that's where I'm at. And so I see this as something so much greater. It's something that's just the wildest dreams of what like my grandmother could ever even perceive in her mind. I think this question is really important because I think a lot of the goals and the dreams that we consider to be too audacious are actually not, you know, and it comes back down to those like phases that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Like once you get past all of the sort of automatic descent that your mind comes up with, then you start thinking about why yes. And then you start coming up with solutions. And so as soon as you say that goal out loud, right, it has some other kind of effect on you where it becomes real and it becomes doable. And now you're like, okay, I said it out loud. So that's real. And now I put it there that $10 million, five years ago, five years to make that happen. And I can work backwards to see how that's going to happen. And now you have a whole outline of how you're going to accomplish that. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes being around other people that like are in that game or have accomplished that. Mm -hmm. Like you've got to be able to surround yourselves with people who like, who think think that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. 70K for a year for a mastermind. Okay. There's people paying it. I know it. I've seen it. Okay. He was Who paying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're paying and for this for- lunch then, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Girl. <laughs> Damn. Hilarious. Yeah. But it's, that's so important. If there's, if you take away one thing, you've got to look at who you're hanging out with. Mm-hmm. You've got to see who you're hanging out with. It doesn't make them bad. It doesn't make them wrong. It just means it's not the person for you. If you right. want to get to a certain place, you've got to surround yourself with the people that believe in that. Mm-hmm. And with some of the people who have achieved that, yes. that's a whole different yes. ball game. That's a whole different ball game. So that's an audacious goal I have. I'm really, really passionate about, about health. And obviously I'm in the corporate space a lot because my clients are in the corporate space. Yeah. I know most people are in the corporate space and I'm not really one to think that everyone needs to be an entrepreneur. Like there's going to be employees and I want to, we're in a space right now where people are seeing health. People are beginning to make that click. Like, Oh, health is correlated to how my ability to live my life. And it sounds so silly, but like a lot of times we just, the way we treat our bodies is really not the way that is in correlation with, do we want to live a long life? 
do we want to live a long quality life? Do we want to be around the the short term, short term? Exactly. And so for me, it's being able to bring these simple ways to, you know, companies want employees, first of all, employees want healthier workplaces, Mm -hmm. employees want better workplaces. That's something that they're demanding right now. Mm -hmm. Companies that want to retain and have top talent want to provide that they want to provide healthy solutions, but there's kind of this disconnect on how do you do it? How do you actually provide this healthy solution to the employees that want it? So we're entering the game because we're seeing that gap. And for any business model, it's like, where's there a gap and where can you come in? And how does that provide impact? Again, how you want to help people? Great. People want to help people. How do you want to do it? How do you want to do it? How do you want to create that impact? First thing, if anyone's listening and feels like they don't really know what they want to do, or they're not feeling fulfilled, you knowing that you want to help people is a great start. How do you want to do it? It's endless and it's really personalized to you. Boom. Done. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say mic drop all the time, but I want to say it again. (laughs) I love it. Such a great conversation today, Alejandra. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. It was almost two hours. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. And if anyone wants to connect with me on Instagram. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. If you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, you can look me up AI Hernandez. Empower Change is the name of my company. So my whole thing was around empowerment and I work with women. So I kind of took a little thing with the word empower and I just added an H. So it's empower her change, E-M-P-O-W-H-E-R. You can find me on Instagram like that. And same thing, LinkedIn, Alejandra Hernandez at empower change. You'll be able to find me as well. So hit me up. Let me know anything you took away from this podcast. I'm so happy to have this conversation and connect with any of you later on. Amazing. And I will put all of those links, as many as I can find all in the show notes, um, along awesome. with the Opti Wellbeing Solutions, I'll put a link for, and along with the mastermind. So yeah. if there's anything else, Alejandra, that you think about that you would like to put in those show notes, just send me an email, let me know. Perfect. And again, thank you so much. It was so great to have this conversation with you. This is our first conversation and I hope yes. to meet you in person very soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Oh my God, this was such a long episode, but I enjoy talking to Alejandra so much. I hope you guys enjoyed it just as much as I did. Please, please share this with your friends. Give us five stars. We would appreciate it so much if you could do that for us. And until next time, stay audacious. <laughs>